when somebody learns that, that another person is polyamorous, they like hold their spouse that much closer. Right. Yep. Like they, they that. just, yep. they give that stink eye and they're like, Oh my God, don't take my husband away from me. Right. Yep. Like you stay back, you filthy whore, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, but, but like, that's, that's not what polyamory is. James Sayas is the host of the practicing polyamory podcast and is with us today to answer some of the most common questions about the alternative relationship style known as polyamory. I have many friends in the poly community, and I mention this because I've been very fortunate to be able to ask them questions, any question that pops in my head, actually, without fear of judgment. This is an opportunity for you to get a better understanding on how all this works. Polyamory may not be for you, but in this episode, it will lay down some of the core tenets for any successful relationship style. I hope you enjoy. If you like what we are doing with the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs and want to show some support, the best way to show us some love is to subscribe and leave an honest review. We also have a Facebook group where we continue these types of conversations and offer so much more for all of our continued growth. I can't wait to see you in there. Make sure to see the show notes for details. My name is Tim Palladino, and this is the Entrepreneurial Hierarchy of Needs podcast. James, thank you so much for uh, for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, coming in from sunny San Diego. Is it sunny there? It is today. It's beautiful. Good. Good. What do you guys get? Rain like one day of the year? Yeah, about six times a year, and uh, everybody freaks out, and... Yeah. It, everything stops. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, yeah, I absolutely love San Diego. So today, uh, everybody, you guys already know, we're going to be talking about polyamory, what it is, what it isn't, what's beautiful about it, what might be scary to some people. This is probably going to make you a little uncomfortable, guys. Like, I'm sorry to tell you, but it's 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 something that I have been trying to to get a better understanding for years now. And it's really made me it, it's really made me, it's given me the ability, I should say, to see things through a completely different lens. And it's really opened my eyes to be better in my own personal relationships, regardless if it's romantic or if, it, if, it's, um, uh, if it's just intimacy or romance, it doesn't matter. So I'm really excited to have these conversations. Um, first thing, James, do you, how about we, we kind of like, we demystify it a little bit. So one of the things that I want to talk about is what polyamory isn't, right? So the, the and, and what I mean directly by that is it's not polygamy. Yeah, no, no, it's not polygamy. Uh, so polygamy is generally, well, polygamy is actually the practice of marrying multi, multiple people. Uh, and so, you know, we see that throughout history and that, like that's not even legal anyway nowadays um, but I think the idea that you're talking about is like one man and multiple women I mm. think yeah. it's polygyny uh, I could be wrong but anyway um, so it's not specifically that the the beautiful thing about polyamory is that it actually empowers women and gives uh, women equal opportunity to have multiple partners and that polygamy that you're talking about the structures typically you know one man, multiple women, the women are not allowed to be sexual with each other or to have other romantic partnerships outside of, uh, outside of that one man. So yeah, it's definitely an equal playing ground for, uh, for all genders. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, one of the things that, that really attracted me to the idea of polyamory was it's, there's not a lack based mentality in it. There's oh, yeah. a, uh, yeah. So it's not, it's not what I don't have. It's what I do have. 
Um, mm-hmm. And um, one of the one of the key takeaways that a friend of mine actually bestowed upon me is I get to choose every day. I get to choose the people I love. I get to choose mm-hmm. the people I'm in a relationship with. And of course, you can do that in many other types of relationships too. But from my understanding, that was that was impressed on me on on something that that is kind of part of the the whole polyamory uh, world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It is very much a conscious choice. Uh, to be in each relationship and each relationship has has its own unique properties um you know for for a long time um i was married and so i had my my nesting partner as as we call it right she was my wife but she was my nesting partner she lived with me we lived together we shared finances we shared a household we shared you know a life and then you know other partners that i would have maybe we didn't have those things necessarily but we had other things you know we had you know different hobbies and specific things that we like to do that you know maybe my wife wasn't into you know, my, my partner that I have now, we love hiking and running and doing all the crazy outdoors things, right? Like we're talking about uh, skydiving and scuba diving and doing all these things when the world starts opening up again. Um, but those are things that, you know, my, my wife would never have been into. Like, nope, you're good. You go do that stuff. I'll hang out over here on shore or, you know, I'll, I'll watch you from the ground as you, as you make your way down. But, you know, each each relationship is is different in that way. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah, that that's what's really cool is that it it um, another thing that I'm noticing based on conversations because I am not an expert by far um, is mm-hmm. that there is there's more of an emphasis on the the deeper relationship as far as friendship goes with lovers, oh, yeah. and that that's that it's so impressive to me. Like it's. It's not that I wasn't, not that I was taught against it, but I guess this isn't something that we talk about, you know, and in our societies. And when we do, it's from a from a, a monolithic perspective where it's like, this is all I know. So this is what I'm teaching you. Not this is what I've learned through exploration. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm teaching. So it, we get like a kind of get a raw deal when it comes to how awesome our relationships can be, because we're taught by people that mm-hmm. only have a monolithic view. Um, what are yeah. some of the things that you feel are, are special about polyamory? Yeah. I mean, uh, to your point, one of the things that, that has changed for me is the level of depth that I can have with my friends, right. With specifically, you know, my, my female friends, my, my, you know, girlfriends, um, in monogamy, there's always this, uh, ceiling, of how close you can get with another person, right? Like there's there's an intimacy that you would have with your boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse or whatever. And like there's that intimacy and that uh, that knowledge of one, in, one another, uh, there, th- that depth is like supposed to be so special that when you start to have that kind of a connection with anybody else, it feels threatening to that to that relationship you know the 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 romantic relationship boyfriend girlfriend wife husband whatever right and so having like a really super close friendship with somebody else especially of of the sex or or gender that you are attracted to that can be threatening and so you know it, it caps how close you can develop a friendship in polyamory we don't necessarily have that cap we can mm. 
we can have super close, super deep, super intimate uh, friendships. And there are people who have sexual relationships with their friends. You know, I haven't had any like that, like I wish, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but like there are people who have friends that, you know, they are super, super close with and there's no romance there. They're not, you know, in love necessarily. They love each other a lot, but they're not in love. And, but every once in a while, you know, they, they drink together or whatever. They, they get close enough and they just happen to have sex. Like that's an expression of their love for one another. Um, I don't have any friends like that. I've, I've heard about it. I've, I've read about it. It sounds great to me. That sounds cool. But, you know, um, but that's what I'm saying is, is there is that ceiling isn't there. Like we, we can find much deeper connections and in my opinion, much more fulfilling connections because we don't have that, that stop. We don't have that. Nope. You can only go this far with these people. Yeah. Um, part of my own personal journey over the last couple of years, um, I learned to segregate uh, intimacy and romance. They, they mm. aren't the exact same thing. And that right. totally blew my mind. That totally blew my <laughs> mind. I felt like, and and once again, like, I'm not, I'm not blaming anybody, but I think I was like, kind of like put in this bowl as a kid and was like, Hey, this is, this is what you drink out of. You know what I mean? This is the yeah. direction you go. And if, if, it, if something is intimate, then it is automatically romantic. And that, that's such, that's such a, um, an inaccurate mm-hmm. statement, but yeah, it took me until I was, I don't know, 35, 36 years old to figure this out. Uh, I can't even say for myself because it was with the help of a lot of other people giving me beautiful perspectives. Um, and on top of that, like if you go back into history, I think it's a, a, in Greek history, they have eight different words for love. You know, there's different types of love. There's right. not, there's not, everything right. is not romantic. And I think that's where there's a lot of clashing uh, going on here because, you know, we don't know how to act with everybody because we, we're all, we're trying to, we're trying to um, act the same way with multiple different types of people. You know, I wouldn't walk into it's, this isn't, this is, this isn't the United Nations, right? You can't like just expect everybody to kind of be speaking English or have some kind of translator. You know, this, this is a a kind of an open world where we have to play by each other's rules with boundaries and expectations and stuff like that. Um, And yeah, so that, that's, that's one of the wild things about it, but that's, that's one of the beautiful things about it as well. Um, totally. what, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on boundaries and expectations? Once again, one of the things that I'm taking away from other conversations is that the boundaries and expectations are kind of a, uh, the platform of any mm-hmm. successful polyamory relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, Boundaries and expectations. I, I I'm gonna separate those two a little bit because, uh, in my opinion, they are. Uh, we're talking about two different things when when I hear the words boundaries and expectations. So my expectations for a relationship. Um, you know, I was actually having a conversation with somebody. Uh, I think it was last night. Uh, just somebody somebody knew that I started chatting with, and we talked about expectations in a relationship. Uh, when I think about expectations of a relationship, my mind instantly goes to what we call the relationship escalator, Mm. right? And the relationship escalator, you know the story. It's in every fairy tale, right? Boy meets girl, everybody's attracted, uh, you know, and so they start talking, there's a courting, then they start dating, then they fall in love, then uh, they move in together, they get married, they have kids, they raise their kids, they grow old, they retire in Florida, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the relationship escalators, this this traje- trajectory. 
uh, when we're talking about monogamous relationships, generally speaking, that is the expectation, right? Like in, in a monogamous relationship, that is the expectation. We get into the relationship because we expect to grow old with this person and right. be the forever partner. Like that's, that's why, right. It's very linear. Like this is why we date. Um, in polyamory, we have the freedom to set no expectations or different expectations. Mm. Um, I am not on a relationship escalator with my current partner. She is married, has another partner. Um, uh, she is married and has another partner. Uh, and, you know, even though she's married, like she wants to move out and live on her own. She's never lived on her own before. So she wants gotcha. to live on her own. And that might be what she does for the rest of her life at that point. She yeah. might never live with another partner again. And so we're not on that relationship escalator where we are planning this whole big long life together. I want to be a nomad again. I want to jump in a van or in an RV right. and, you know, travel across the country, travel across the world again. You know, like that's, that's what I want to do. And so, you know, if I met somebody who wanted to raise a family and have kids, those two ideas don't work. So, so expectations in, in the sense of relationships, um, we are able in polyamory to change our expectations to make our expectations something other than that relationship escalator yeah now that other word that you used was boundaries mm -hmm. and boundaries uh is more synonymous or more more uh related to rules we've got rules and boundaries uh and these are like rules that we might set in a relationship uh and when we talk about boundaries and rules a boundary is something that I set for myself, whereas a rule is something that I place on someone else. So for example, if I'm in a relationship with somebody, I might tell them that, you know, a rule is you can't have an overnight, you, know, you, you can't sleep with your partner. Uh, you can't have sex with your partner without, without protection, right? I might tell my partner, that's a rule. You can't, you can't have sex with somebody without protection, right? And so because I'm placing that rule on them, if they break that rule, then, you know, there's some kind of consequence. On the other hand, if I place it as a boundary, then it's something I can control. Uh, I can say, uh, I will not be with someone or I will not have unprotected sex with somebody who has unprotected sex with someone else. So mm -hmm. if they break that rule, the penalty is, you know, we're going to have protected sex now instead of unprotected. So, right. So, Yeah. Kind of that's why that's why I was like, eh, it's kind of two different things that we're talking about there, but it, yeah, it truly yeah. is. And that that's a really good um delineation and 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 uh definition of of what that that um how the agreement works. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, and it's you know, it's and while you're talking, I'm thinking like like where what's reasonable? And I, and like then I come back to well everything's reasonable. I have a feeling, <laughs> and I don't want you to like date anybody in flip flops. You know, obviously I'm just pulling this out of you know, but sure, um, sure. but it's it's whatever. Somebody who wears flip flops with socks, like that's, right, that's right, it. That's a deal socks, breaker. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <Get outta laughs> here. But yeah, Check it's you know. Oh, let me see. There are you, you doing it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, that's good. That is good. It's um, too bad. It's too bad that this is a uh, video. This is an, an audio, audio only pod yeah. because everybody didn't get to see me lift my leg and show you my oh. flip flops and socks. Anyway, <laughs> too good. Too good. Uh, I'm not even wearing shoes, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So setting those those um, rules as it is. Um, it's it's a I guess it's a matter of personal preference. You know, there's no. There's no necessary, that's what's so beautiful about this. And I'm kind of like having like the, these brain, these brain sparks right now as we're talking, where it's, it's a, it just allows you to be so sovereign and allows you to be ever expanding in the sense where I'm evolving. You know, mm -hmm. I, the person I was last year certainly isn't the person I was 10 years ago, certainly wasn't the person I was five years from then. So it allows you to grow with someone in, in, a, in a really fun way and kind of, kind of in an empowering way. Mm -hmm, where if I'm with whomever, and this should be for monogamy and, and poly, like any type of relationship, but you should have that type of security where you can say, hey, things are different now. Right. This is how I feel. And yep. it just be open. And I think it's less so in, in monogamous relationships, at least from my experience, mm -hmm. where, where you can come to someone and say, hey, I just leveled up. I have these new feelings. I have these new understandings. I would like mm -hmm. to change some of the some of the understandings in our in our relationship. I think that's that's kind of frowned upon because of that linear path. Like, oh no, no, no we're right. going somewhere. We made an agreement three years ago when we got married that we're going to go this direction, mm -hmm. at this mm -hmm. speed, and stuff like that. And you know that doesn't always work. It doesn't always yep. work. Yeah, no. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned, I, I think it was before we started talking here, before the show started, uh, that polyamory were big on communication, right? We got yeah. three rules, communication, 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 mm -hmm. right? Um, and in that communication is also a lot of introspection. Yeah, I, I believe that as a community, we do more introspective work um, because we are always dealing with so many different new personalities. You know, whenever a new partner comes in, there are other partners that are directly or indirectly affected. Mm -hmm. And so there's, you know, always this introspective work that we need to do to make sure that we are providing continuing to provide the needs to those other relationships. You know, we don't want to start dating somebody, get caught up in, in what we call NRE new relationship energy, which is, yeah. you know, that, that floaty, you know, uh, uh, rose colored glasses, puppy yeah. love, you know, all those, all those things. And then we get caught up in that and start neglecting our other relationships. So we need to be, you know, constantly aware of those types of things. And, you know, to your point, if this new partner introduces an idea to us, right? If somebody, I start dating somebody and they have had, you know, their whole life here in San Diego or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, I want to jump in an RV and start traveling the country. And they're like, holy crap, you can do that. Right. Yeah. And like, it's this whole mind shift for them, something that they never thought was possible. Now they have that opportunity to say, okay, introspectively is the life that I always imagined here in San Diego in a house, white picket fence ideal, or do I want to have some adventure? And maybe they've been building this life with a partner, you know, the white picket fence ideal. And they're like, I'm just so enamored by this idea of hitting the road. Like the, the relationship agreement that we had is changing. Like, I think I'm mm -hmm. changing as a person uh, I didn't know that this was possible. I really want to pursue this. And then it's, you know, for that relationship to kind of figure out, okay, if this is going to happen, what does that look like for us? 
Yeah. You know, like, and, and it's all of these different things that, that we're always growing and always changing. Um, and it, it really, it doesn't have to be linear for us. Mm-hmm. Whereas in monogamy, it's, if, you know, if, if, if I was monogamous and married to someone and, you know, my wife came to me and said, Hey, I met this guy and he travels in an RV and goes all over the country. And I think I want to go with him. Like my world is shattered. Certainly. Yeah. And not that it wouldn't be in a polyamorous relationship because you still have those same ties and you still have those same responsibilities and you still have that life together. Um, But I think we have more of an understanding that, you know, it, it, it's not a linear thing. And, and as long as you've communicated these things, you know, it's not like you just make these, these decisions on the fly. You know, you have, yeah. if, if I'm in a polyamorous relationship and, you know, I'm doing all these things, I'm financially tied up with somebody and they're like, Hey, I want to do this thing. I'm like, I would be like, cool. That sounds awesome. But like, can we write out our lease? and like can you give me an opportunity to find a new place to stay and you know do all these things like don't just ditch me yeah right so but i i think in in monogamous relationships we don't we don't give our partners that freedom because we're just expected to meet all of their needs and we expect our partner to meet all of our needs and it's a very intertwined and interdependent relationship Mm -hmm. in in ways that uh that i think polyamory kind of frees us from yeah that that's kind of what i've noticed from the outside looking in um one of the words that keep on popping into my head right now and the gives such beauty to the perspective of polyamory is impermanence right so if if you know something can change you cherish what you have Mm -hmm. and you're preparing yourself from what may be next and it's not like a it's not like a worry situation. It's just like what we got going on is great. I can't worry about what's next until next thing happens, and then mm-hmm. we deal with it. Because you you already, I say this might be a little bit uh, um, what's we're looking for fanciful, but like you already know that when you get into a relationship with with someone that has the in the polyamory community, you know that that you trust them to communicate. Because that is, that's, mm-hmm. as you said before, that's such a foundation of the whole thing. Right. So it, when things change, it's okay. You know, yep. I've been in plenty of relationships. The number one thing I'm always afraid to talk about, and I do it anyway, but it sucks, is change. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. whether it be like, let's get a dog or, hey, let's move to the suburbs <laughs> or whatever the hell it is, something radically, right? Quote, unquote, radically different than the norm kind of freaks people out sometimes. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm speaking from a place of having no children, right? And mm-hmm. when I talk about potential partners, I usually envision them as also not having children. But polyamory is not exclusive to the childless community. Um, I had a guest on my show. Her name is uh, Doctor uh, e- Eli Chef Elizabeth Chef, um, and she has done a study of polyamorous families for over 25 years. And there are people who have, you know, two, three, four partners and all raising multiple children together, you know, one child, five children, eight children, whatever, you know? And I think about, you know, uh, 
I'm a Chargers fan. So, you know, uh, my boy, Philip Rivers, right? He's got like nine kids or 10 kids or whatever it is at this point. And there's only two parents, right? Like that's, ah, that scares the crap out of me, right? But but in, in these poly families that Dr. Chef has studied, there might be 10 children, but like four or five adults. Yeah. Right. And so you kind of spread that work out a lot more evenly that way. Um, And the great thing about that is that the children actually benefit from having more adults in the house. Right. They get more attention. You know, imagine two parents splitting their attention between 10 kids. Right. I mean, just mathematically, each one can have like, I don't know, one tenth of their attention right? At best. At best. Yeah. Right. One tenth of each parent's attention. But if you have four or five, then all of a sudden those numbers get a lot bigger. There's more attention Then uh, you know, all right. So everybody isn't Philip rivers and making millions of dollars a year playing football. Right. But for the rest of us, now we've got, instead of two incomes, four incomes. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. now it's all of a sudden, okay, like there's more resources to pull together, uh, whether it's time or financial resources, like there, there's more resources and, and kids learn uh, these communication skills that they see their parents practicing. And so they're better prepared to communicate with people out in the real world. So there's actually a lot of really cool things that uh, Dr. Chef has learned that actually make polyamorous relationships even advantageous for those with kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, what you're saying, it, it totally resonates with a lot of uh, studies that I've read as far as the, the early childhood development, um, where, where like we're getting our stories and stuff like that and children being with different perspectives. Um, and if they're with other children too, they, that's when they learn to negotiate, right. That, mm-hmm. that three to like seven, or it's actually like four to seven, I think it was in the study. Um, so that's super important. They're able to take in all of this information, not just one thing and then resist everything else for the rest of their life. They're really able to see kind of like a spectrum of under, get a, get a spectrum of understanding. And that, that just makes them for better people, you know, yep. regardless if it's, if it's poly or, you know, um, I think that's super important to, to kind of take away. Um, I'm a big fan of like anthropology and, um, I would love to see a more, and I didn't even make this connection. I don't even know if there is quite a connection with this, but a more modern hunter-gatherer style um, family or community, <laughs> you know, just where there's no, like with older hunter-gatherer styles, when, when you know, the, classically the men would go out and hunt, no one would claim the kill. It was the community's hmm. kill. It was the right, hunter's right. kill. So where it's an all for one style attitude. And that that's one of the things that, that, that these things keep on like popping into my head as we're speaking. Um, and it, but that's so important. That's so important where the, with the all for one kind of attitude. Um, yeah. Yeah. These communal properties and, and community type of relationships, it, it, it exists, you know, yeah. in the polyamorous community, like those types of things do exist. Um, polyamorists uh the polyamorists next door is the name of dr eli's book and that's okay. like the first 15 years of her study uh she's written you know several books after that and and uh her blog is named the same it's it's so fascinating i was i was so excited when i got to interview her on my show um uh, because she is one of the top 
you know, uh, well, she is the top researcher in the world uh, and one of the top, you know, authors for our community. So it was, it was just super exciting. And I totally still nerd out on her stuff. That's so cool. That's so cool. Do you, do you feel that there's still a, this, let me rephrase that. Do you feel that people are still scared or have a fear against uh, polyamory because it's, it's threatening to their, their monogamous relationship? Yeah. Um, actually, I mean, I haven't experienced it, but I've, you know, seen these stories in the community and I've actually been told, uh, you know, some of these things in, in different conversations that I've had that, uh, you know, when somebody learns that, when somebody learns that, that another person is polyamorous, they like hold their spouse that much closer, right? Yep, like they, they that. just, yep. they give that stink eye and they're like, oh my God, don't take my husband away from me. Right. Yep. Like you stay back, you filthy whore, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, but, but like, that's, that's not what polyamory is. Like um, one of our big tenants is honesty around, uh, around infidelity. Like, so in other words, if, I am a person that is willing to be with someone who is married and cheating on their spouse as a polyamorous person. Like that's, that's a ding in my record, right? Like that, that's, that's not a good look for me because if I'm not respecting, respecting the boundaries and rules of their relationship, I can't be trusted to respect the boundaries and rules of my own relationship. Sure. That's a lesson that I learned uh, harshly recently you know because i mm. i you know i've been that guy right i was like oh i'm polyamorous you know it's cool like i can do whatever i want but this other person isn't and you know it it you hurt people when yeah. you don't respect those relationships and i hurt someone because i didn't respect their relationship you yeah. know and so it's it's things like that that you know I know what the right thing is to do, but when I get caught up in the moment, it's really easy to ignore the right thing, mm-hmm. but that's when integrity comes into place, right? Like to, to have that integrity and to um, continue to respect the boundaries of other people's relationships and, you know, internalize that, be a good person and, and do the right thing. So um going back to, to, to that situation, you know, when, when people learn that we are, that we are polyamorous, they do give us that stink eye and they hold their spouse a little bit closer, but the people that have been in polyamory for a while and have learned the lesson that I've learned, it's like, nah, like you're married, like do your thing. It's cool. Y'all open up and you're cute. Like, cool. Like come talk to me. Yeah. But as long as that's the, the, the boundaries of your relationship and the rules and the agreements of your relationship, I'm not touching it. Yeah. I have no interest in it because it's just too much heartache for me. Yeah. Yeah. You end up getting a mark on you. I totally hear that. And it, and it, it, it's almost like predatorial, right? Like, yes. Yeah. If you, you could, that that's taking advantage of someone's situation. It is. Cause you know, putting ourselves in a, in a general situation, if, if someone's in that situation and their their spouse or whomever their partner doesn't know, then they're obviously doing something wrong. Yep. You know, it's not truth by omission. You're keeping a secret, and and you're mm-hmm. and and that's not even necessarily good for the long term of the relationship because now you are filling a void. So now you're a right. tool, not a person. Yep. So yeah, I can I can there could be a lot of stink on that. 
a lot of yeah. stink on that. Yeah. And I mean, when I was in those relationships, when I was in those situations, I knew there was an expiration date. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew that eventually this was going to come to a head for one reason or another. And, you know, when it did, it didn't feel good. Yeah. And, you know, when I finally got called on it, you know, by, by a partner that, that held me to that standard, that was when I was like, oh, see, I knew it was wrong, but nobody was holding me to that standard. Sure. The moment I get held to that standard, it's like, yep, I knew it was wrong. I, I, I did it anyway. It was it, but it was wrong. And I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. You know, sometimes we, we just got to get that nip in the ass and just be like, Oh, yeah, now right? it makes sense. Now it makes yep. sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, on a, uh, on a societal level, um, you know, kind of digging a little bit deeper into, into your question, like on a societal level, I don't necessarily think that, uh, people are afraid that all the polyamorists are going to take all of their partners. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think that that's what people fear. I think when it comes right down to it, it's, it's more religious and society based. Mm, okay. um, religious teachings are always, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think at some point in the new Testament, like Jesus did away with, with divorce, right? Like stop divorcing your wives or whatever, something along those lines. Um, but, but, you know, there was even in, in like the old Testament, I was listening to, um, the musical, uh, Joseph and the multicolored coat this morning. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of musicals. Anyway, I was listening to it and, and, you know, uh, Jacob, Israel, has a bunch of wives, and Joseph's mother was his favorite wife. So, like, there is a precedent for polygamy, (laughs) you know, but but multiple, you know, multiple people involved in a relationship, uh, you know, even in in, in religious history. But at some point, you know, religious people did away with with that kind of thinking. And it's like one man and one woman, and they come together and they become one and like, that's it. So we've got all of these religious teachings that tell us that that's the way it's supposed to be. And then we've got all of our stories, right? Think of every rom-com that you've ever seen, right? Every love triangle that you've ever seen. Love triangles in movies are completely ruined for polyamorous people. Yeah. Just be poly. You don't have to choose. Just have them both. It's fine, yeah. right? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, whatever, the, 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 the girl that becomes a vampire in Twilight, like she has to pick a vampire or a werewolf, right? You team Jacob or are you team... Oh, I forgot the guy's name. Um, anyway. But but that's yeah. the idea, right? Is you're either team vampire or you're team werewolf. You have to choose one, yeah. right? Whereas in polyamory, we're like, nah, it's cool. Just have them both. It's fine. Yeah. But that's but those are the stories that we've been told over and over and over and over again. Yeah. Boy meets girl, fall in love, get married, have kids, retire in Florida. They, that's what we're supposed to do. So it's it. If anything, it's a threat to that story it's a threat to you know that's what we've been taught for generation upon generation upon generation and now we're breaking that mold Mm -hmm. and saying it doesn't have to be this way and people are just like what no like this is the way it is and it's like nah like actually this is really cool and fun and good for the kids (laughs) 
there's a right, lot right. of benefits to doing things this way. It doesn't have to be the way that it's always been. Yeah. And it also seems very fulfilling from the outside looking in, oh, God. Um, in the, in the sense where it's, it's, it's not binary in the sense of I'm either with someone or I'm not. It's like, you always have like a buddy or a best friend or anything like mm -hmm. that. And as, as we mentioned before, like if it gets to, if it plays out romantically, then it plays out romantically. But mm -hmm. first and foremost, you have a community near and dear to you. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's one of the greatest things is, uh, you know, even if it isn't a romantic connection, do you have a new friend? Friends are good. We like friends. Great. friends <laughs> yeah. They're wonderful, right? Yeah. Awesome. So the romantic connection isn't there. Oh, well, we got along anyway, and we had a good time, and we can talk about Marvel and Star Wars and whatever nerdy things because that's what we liked to talk about, right? Like right. we had a great time. It just the, the, the other chemistry wasn't there, and that's okay. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Something else that I wanted to say on that, but I can't think of it now. We'll get back to it. I promise. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure it'll pop up in the middle of something else. We'll yeah. cycle oh, back around. <laughs> <laughs> um, so how, how would you suggest or how have you personally found balance? Right. Because, you know, kind of with my engineer mindset, I started doing the, the thought exercises of like, all right, well, like you were doing before with like the pure division. Um, where it's like, all right, well, I can't give my attention to this person. I was actually having a conversation earlier today about like, I don't want any new people in my life. I can't afford to have any new people of my life in my life because not only will I not be able to be the best me, I won't be able to take that best me or not best me and offer it to the people that I have. Like I'm getting to a point where it's like, I gotta, I gotta pull back a little bit. Uh, so how do you, I guess, set up or protect yourself against being th too thin for, for your own good. Yeah. Um, that's, that's like the common phrase or common, common refrain. Uh, love is infinite, mm. right? Like we have, we have so much love to give when you have a child and then the second child enters the picture, you don't stop loving the first child. <laughs> you just expand your capable capability to love and give more love to that second child. It's sure. same thing in romantic partnerships, right? When I love someone, just because I start loving somebody new doesn't mean that I start stop loving that first person or, or begin to love that first person less. I just expand my ability to love to this new person. So love is infinite. Time and energy are not. Yeah. There's 24 hours in a day, right? And during that day, you need to sleep, you need to eat, you need to work, you need to do all of these different things to take care of yourself or myself, right? I need to do all those things. I have my morning routine that I absolutely love. And, you know, from 5 a.m. to 9, like I have things that I'm doing to take care of me. And no partner is going to get in the way of that, right? Like those are those yeah. are the things that, that are important to me. Um, and then it's, you know, well... I can have Mondays and Wednesdays with partner A and, you know, Thursday and Friday with partner B. And then I get, you know, Tuesday, Saturday and Sunday to myself. Or, you know, if I have four partners, you know, then all of a sudden it's like one day, one day, one day, one day. And then I get a couple of days to myself or one mm -hmm. day to myself. And, you know, this is where each person kind of starts to figure out what works for them. Uh, the partner that I have currently, she realized uh, that four partners is one too many, right? She, she, she 
she loves her um her autonomy she guards her independence uh and when it was getting to a point where she hardly had any time to herself she she needs that solitude um she you know it was it was just it was really really hard for her in that time um she didn't like initiate any breakups at that point, but eventually, you know, some of those relationships broke, uh, broke down anyway. And, uh, you know, now she has basically three partners and she's good. Like she doesn't mm -hmm. need any more partners. I just have her at this point and I'm like, you know what? My vacancy sign is on, right? Like I can handle more partners right now. I'm in a, in an emotionally stable place. Yeah. I'm in a financially stable place. I have free time. Like I, I have the ability right now to take on another partner and, you know, I'm looking for it. So, so in my experience, it's, it's one of those, like, when do you feel that you are polysaturated is the word that we use. <laughs> right. And it's a great term. And again, it's back to that introspection. It's going back and saying, you know what? am I getting enough time to take care of the things that I need to take care of? And if I'm not, what do I need to change? Do I actually need to, you know, drop one of these relationships or do I need to set boundaries for myself and say, you know what? I love all of my partners equally and I don't want to break up with any of them, but I can only spend, you know, three nights a week with, between my five partners, mm -hmm. right. Or whatever. So this week I'm going to see these three partners. And then the next week I'm going to see these three partners. And then I start, you know, scheduling it out in my calendar and doing all these things. Love is infinite. I can love as many people as I can, but I only have so much time and energy and I need to prioritize myself too. The relationship I have with myself is my, my primary relationship. Yeah. And what I'm catching is, is a, a universal theme is of um, not necessarily self-preservation. I think that has a negative context behind it, but uh, self-care, you know, work on, on yourself, make sure that you get your time if you need it. Mm -hmm. Right. We all have different, mm -hmm. we all have different barometers for right. how much fulfillment I need from self. I have, I have a very high one. I like my alone time. I'm an mm -hmm. extrovert all day long. And I, but I also really, really covet my alone time. So just getting, getting a handle on what that, what that balance is kind of first seems like almost like a good step in, in, in the direction of if you, if someone was going to explore polyamory, does that, does that sound, does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every person has their own needs. I'm the type of person that, you know, I could probably spend five, six, I, I could probably go like three weeks every night you know, with a partner. Right. Mm. But eventually like I need a little time and distance for myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And I can't be around that person like 24 seven. Yeah. Right. I need, I, I need some space. Um, and so we, we will start to figure out what that is for ourselves one way or another. Yeah. Right. Either, either by just doing the introspective work or, after a few weeks of being with that partner, things start to break down and you realize, oh, I, we need a little time off. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And then, um, much like any other relationships in, in my life, it's a, a fine balance between, you know, let the wind take you and have your hand in it. 
you know, so it's not too, too controlling. Don't try and narrate the whole thing or, or, mm-hmm. or, or guide the whole thing, but also don't let the wind take it so far where it's, you know, irreversible, uh, you know, finding that healthy balance of where are we going? Where's it yeah. not going? Yeah. And just being, yeah. being at one with it. Um, so where would, where would, um, where would you say first steps are? Um, I would guess education is kind of paramount, right? First Definitely. step. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how, how would one be more open or where, where would one go to, to get a better understanding besides your fantastic podcast, um, <laughs> of polyamory and, and how to, I want to say, do it properly. You know, I don't, I don't know if there's a right and a wrong necessarily, but sure. I, I could, I could see calling it proper, uh, with rules and, and understandings, uh, where would someone go and go and figure that out? Sure, sure. I mean, uh, so cheap plug, my podcast is Practicing Polyamory. Uh, Find us everywhere on social media at Practicing PolyA. Uh, Find us on iTunes, Practicing Polyamory, you know, all that good stuff. Uh, I am putting out a lot of really good information uh, about polyamory, talking to uh, therapists and real life polyamorous people, all kinds of good stuff. So you can kind of get an idea of what that is. what we call, what we often refer to as the Poly Bible, is uh, a book called More Than Two. Oh, by... definitely. Yeah. Sorry, okay. Ahead. You, you know excited. that one. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so More Than Two, uh, Eve Rickert and Franklin Vo. Uh, just a little, a little caveat there. Franklin Vo was uh, later accused of of uh, abuse in polyamory, polyamorous oh, okay. relationships. So kind of take that one with uh, with a little bit of. of that knowledge you can do some research on that stuff later on but either way it's still a fantastic book um if you are a couple that is looking to explore polyamory um there are there there's this article that i always link to um i don't remember exactly where where it's written um but it's the most important step when opening up a relationship search for that do a google Mm. search for the most important step uh or the most often skipped step is i think what it is okay we'll we'll find it and throw in the details in the in the episode yep um but anyway what that what that article talks about is uh detangling your relationship so remember when i said uh you know the two become one which is you know our our religious teachings and our lives become intertwined and this happens all the time. I remember, you know, when my wife and I first got married, we did everything together, mm-hmm. you know, and before we got married, we did everything together. It's like, Hey, uh, we got to do some grocery shopping. Okay. Let's, let's go. You know, um, what are we doing tonight? Oh, I don't know. Do you want to go to the bar or whatever? Okay, cool. Let's go. And yeah. Hey, what do you, what's going on this weekend? Oh, you know, my friend's doing this. Oh, okay, cool. That sounds fun. And we go right. And everything that we do is together. Yep. So, when you're opening up a relationship and your partner goes on a date for the first time and you're not going with them, all of a sudden that's like prime time for the jealousy and the insecurity and the sadness and the, Mm -hmm. you know, all the fears, like everything starts hitting right then. Right. The smallest thing you're insecure about just comes rearing its head right down the hallway. Exactly, exactly. So detangling your relationship starts with establishing what your what your hobbies are, what yeah. your separate hobbies are. Yeah. Right? Maybe you are into Marvel and Star Wars and all these, you know, 
nerdy and wonderful sci-fi whatever fun mm-hmm. movies comic book things but your partner is like totally not into it cool you know what you should do you should go hang out with your friends right go go for a night with your girlfriends or whatever and i'm gonna stay home and i'm gonna watch like all the marvel movies that i can't watch when you're around right right and you start doing that before you open the open up the relationship yeah. so that when the relationship is opened up they've gone out for their date and you have tools in your in your bag to know what to do with your night so mm. that you're not just sitting there thinking about everything that your partner is doing and going over all of the details in your head and driving yourself absolutely mad. Right, you're not suffocating from their absence. Exactly. Yeah, you're able to 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 be happy. And and mm-hmm. that just actually another word just clicked in my head, compersion. Yes. That Love that's one of like the most fascinating terms and I'm probably going to butcher it right now but well actually could you can you explain what compersion is? It's the opposite of jealousy. In when I'm jealous, it's you know, I'm scared or envious or whatever of what's going on in in that other relationship. Uh but when I'm experiencing experiencing compersion, I'm happy for my partner because they found somebody that they connected with. Yeah. And I don't have that fear anymore of this person replacing me or whatever. I'm just genuinely happy for my partner to experience happiness in a relationship outside of ours. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting about it and talking from a societal standpoint, uh, when you Google it, you cited being very difficult to spell, at least for me, um, it's so associated with polyamory and it's, and we made nothing up the words. But, oh, what's that? We made up the word. Oh, well, goddamn, good for you guys, because I love it. It's, it's <laughs> love not word. a word. It's not a word in, in the dictionary. Okay, that makes a whole bunch more sense. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in fact, if you type it into, like, Microsoft Word, it's going to red underline it yeah, and say you, you, you spelled this wrong. Oh, that it's is not too a word. funny. That is too funny. <laughs> Man, Miriam, so, yeah, Webster, we made up the word. Together. <laughs> that it's just is one of those funny. things, yeah. So when you... um. I know you, you've interviewed such great minds. Uh, do you guys ever talk about attachment styles? That was one of the things that was brought to my mm-hmm. attention on, um, I believe there was three or four different attachment styles. I'm a little foggy on it. It's been a couple months since I, I, I learned about it. But is that something that you guys touch on? Um, I haven't necessarily talked about it. You know, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. I did have a guest... Uh, I want to say it was Tiffany Thoen. Uh, she was an intuitive eating coach. And mm. the way that she teaches her intuitive eating is uh, applying attachment styles to food, to our, you know, our attachment to our food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when uh, there's a new book out called Polysecure, mm-hmm. uh, the author's name is Jessica Fern, and she is a therapist or psychologist, I can't quite remember, uh, but her study, her, her field of focus is in attachment theory. And so in attachment theory, we often uh, or historically has been tied to monogamous relationships. Mm-hmm. So she wrote the book on attachment theory in polyamory. So hopefully one of these days I'll get Jessica Fern on my show. She's super popular right now. I so um, because the book just came out, I think last year. Um, so it's really, really new. Um, but yeah, so, so, uh, in, when that book came out and I had Tiffany on the show, you know, she's over here like, oh, I use attachment theory when I'm, you know, teaching my, my intuitive eating, uh, intuitive eating 
students or whatever, uh, clients. And so taking attachment theory and applying it to polyamory, like this is her stuff, right? Like yeah. she was so excited about it. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's in there, it's in there. And, and it's, uh, somebody has written a book on it and I, I read the book, I listened to it. I could not necessarily repeat everything that I learned from it. And I, I, I it's one of those things that it was so theoretical and I couldn't quite like get my thoughts down. I, I need to listen to it again and actually journal. That's what my partner did. She, she's like, oh no, no, no. I, I listened to it and I journaled and then she went and bought the hardcover book and she's like writing in the margins. Like she really loved it. So, uh, cool. but I'm not as uh, well-versed in the attachment theory conversation as, as I would like to be. Yeah. From, from what I remember, it's, it's one of those things that you have to kind of drill a couple times. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to, you have to get that, that, that base layer. You have to kind of like skim the fat off the top, be like, all right, I I'm comfortable with getting more information. Um, you know, it's like dog sniffing something. All right. I'll, I'll start <laughs> chewing now. Um, and then you get a little bit deeper and then you can actually kind of metabolize the information and go back. I mean, a lot of these information, a lot of these podcasts that we're recording, um, definitely this one, I have to go back and listen to a lot of the stuff. Yeah. Cause I'm so like in the zone, having the conversation, a lot of the learning from these conversations happen afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. I, I do the same thing when I listen to my own podcast is like, Oh yeah. I remember when she said that, Oh, that hits differently this time around. Yeah. Love yeah. it. Cool. Um, anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap up? Uh, final thoughts, you know, Final thoughts is that polyamory is not for everyone, mm. right? The But I think that the teachings of polyamorous relationships can be used universally. When we talk about communication, um, a lot of the tools and a lot of the lessons that we learn in polyamory around communication would greatly, greatly, greatly benefit even those in monogamous relationships. Mm. Um, things like detangling, um, it, even, even if you're in a monogamous relationship and have no intention of, you know, changing to polyamory, like there's no reason why you shouldn't have your own hobbies. If everything that you do is with your partner and your partner goes away for a day or two or weeks or whatever, they have a work thing or whatever, and you don't know what you, what to do with yourself. Like th th there's some level of codependence there uh, that could be unhealthy. And so like those types of things, I think there's a lot of lessons that we've learned, that I've learned through, um, through, you know, exploring and, 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 and living this polyamorous life uh, that I think are very, very applicable. And I wish that I had learned even in my monogamous life, it would have made my monogamous dating even better if I knew how to communicate better, if I was uh, more willing to accept a relationship, you know, in whatever form that it came to me, as opposed to always expecting it to be the escalator, you know, like no. imagine having fun dating just for the sake of dating. Yeah. Not for the sake of trying to find your forever partner, yeah. you know, just going out and having a good time, you know? And so, um, there's, I guess that would be my final thoughts. There are a lot of lessons in polyamory that you can apply to your monogamous life and hopefully even make it better. Yeah. And, and one little caveat, and you just, you just kind of like drop something in my brain too. the pressure of dating 
in a monogamous relationship of 40, 50 years down the line, you got to make sure you're making the right choice right now to even ask right. for a second date. And I, th I think that um, um, having the, taking that pressure off allows you to be more of who you are, not an investigative journalist on a date who's trying to figure out if this is the perfect human for you to match with and breed with and do all the things with, you know, it's, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Well said, James. I'm, I'm so pleased we got, we got connected. Um, thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I hope to have you back in the future and, and go even deeper. I think, yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good idea. All say right, when, say when I'm down. Yeah, man. All right. I appreciate you tons. We'll talk soon. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you again for joining us. And if you like what we're doing with the entrepreneurial hierarchy of needs and want to show your support, the best way to show some love is to subscribe and leave us an honest review. We also have a Facebook group where we continue these types of conversations and so much more for all of our continued growth. I can't wait to see you in there.